And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's January 8th, one month away from the trade deadline. And maybe relevant to that, maybe not. Let's just rattle off the last 100 hours in the life of the Golden State Warriors. Blow an 18-point lead against the Denver Nuggets and watch Nikola Jokic bank shot you to misery from almost half court. Chris Paul, hand injury, like the 17th hand injury of Chris Paul's career, he's out. Jonathan Kaminga sits the last 18 minutes of that Nuggets game or whatever it was. And then some strategic leakage about how Jonathan Kaminga prized two timelines draft pick number seven, courtesy of the Minnesota Timberwolves, by the way. Strategic leakage about how he's not sure, just not sure, that Steve Kerr is the coach for him. Followed by a meeting, a face-to-face meeting. What a what an occurrence in 2024 between Steve Kerr and Jonathan Kaminga, which apparently settled everything. Then, then, they beat the Pistons. Let's just go past that, the Pistons thing. Then, Steve Kerr decides, you know what? I'm ripping the Band-Aid off. Toronto Raptors are in town, fresh off a trade. They look great, by the way. Hats off to R.J. Barrett. Bullish on you always, R.J. Barrett. I'm going to start Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga together, which is like the anti-death lineup. Whatever the death lineup was, this is like the, not the life lineup, I don't know, the sap you of all life lineup. Um, And we're just going to see how it goes. And then they were down like 9,000 points at halftime and the second half started. And lo and behold, Jonathan Kaminga was on the bench. Kevon Looney was on the bench, or I can't remember which center they started. Whatever center they started was on the bench. Andrew Wiggins was on the bench, and they got shellacked at home to the Raptors. Draymond Green's coming back, and then to top it all off this morning, the newest episode of the Draymond Green Show, he said he considered retirement during his 12-game suspension, and Adam Silver, commissioner of the people that he is, talked Draymond Green out of a rash decision. Pascal Siakam was in the building in the Chase Center, obviously, for Toronto's domination of the Warriors. Kendra Andrews. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? Did I miss anything? <laughs> Gary Payton the second got hurt. Did I miss anything else? I'm tired. <laughs> Did Joe oh Lakeup God. make any intergalactic analogies gone wrong? Did I miss no, anything? No, no, I think. Oh, I- Bob Myers is running the, with the team formerly known as the team that shall not be named. That's a thing that's going on, I guess. I don't really understand that one, although that's been rumored for quite a while. Yeah. It's it's been it's been a busy three days, Zach. But I don't I don't think you missed anything. But if something pops into my head, I'll let you know. So here's where we are: the Warriors, seventeen and nineteen. They've played six more home games than road games. You figure that will even itself out. I think schedule math works like that. That they're they're going to have to go on the road a bit coming up. They are twelfth in offense. 22nd on defense. Their transition defense is a complete train wreck with or without Draymond Green. Their total scoring margin for the season of this proud franchise is plus seven. They went seven and six or are seven and six so far since Draymond Green's suspension. Their offense has been better eighth in that stretch. Turnovers down, pace down, a little more care and caution, although Steph is in a slump. How about Steph having two 0 for three point games in a month, Kendra? Yep. That's, I guess you can tack that onto the list of things that's been going on. And I think that the game against the Raptors was a prime example of, because also the, the other team that, that he had that 0 for whatever game from three was against the Blazers earlier or back in December. But that Toronto game is a prime example of the state that this team is in right now. If Steph Curry's off, that's what can happen to this team. 
Also, they could just switch 60% of the starting lineup at any time during the game because Steve Kerr has no idea who to play, when to play them, who can play with who, except that now in 146 minutes together, Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins, the team is minus 73 in 146 minutes, which is unfathomable. Without Draymond Green, just to finish that up, 7-6 and six so far, 8th in offense, a pathetic 25th in defense, a total scoring margin over those 13 games of plus one. And so I will just start with this, Kendra. The Kaminga thing was like not quite a bomb, but a, a, like a firework of drama. Yeah. And my initial take was, okay, the Denver game, you know, that's uncomfortable. He's This has clearly been brewing essentially since Jonathan Kaminga came into the league. He's been agitating for more minutes on this veteran heavy team. My take was cooler heads can prevail. He is starting. It's not as if Steve mm-hmm. Kerr has been averse to playing young players, but Jemski was one of his favorites immediately, which was very predictable that Steve, I love Steve, it was very predictable he would love Pajemski. Uh, Jackson Davis has been starting some games. It's not like he's just like, no kids, no kids, no kids. Um, and my thought was, Kaminga is still starting. Give us two weeks of him playing 30 minutes a game, playing well. I think he's been playing well generally the whole year. He's been badly outplaying Wiggins, obviously. Um, and everything will be fine. And then he doesn't start the second half against Toronto. So... Where are we in this Kaminga Kerr situation? And just like with Draymond coming back and so much in flux and CP hurt, like what is yeah. like what's the mood around this? You're there every day. Like, what does this team think it is at this point? Is it is there hope? I'll say that there isn't no hope, right? And, and I think that that's different than saying that there is hope. You know, Stephen Curry the other night after that Denver loss talked about how like as soon as you lose all confidence in in yourself and in your group is when it it all it doesn't matter anymore. And they're not there yet, but there is a very real realization that this is who they are, right? This isn't necessarily just going to click magically. You think back, Zach, to when they won that championship just a year and a half ago, right? It was only a year and a half ago, a year and a half ago. That's what everyone says. That just clicked so perfectly. We saw it last season and we're seeing it this season. It's not just going to click magically and the team very much realizes it. That being said, they don't know what it is. You, they started 13 different starting lineups so far this season. Nothing has worked. They've tried countless rotations. Part of it's because of the suspensions, injuries, all that stuff. Nothing has worked. And I asked them, like, how concerning is that? We're nearing the midway point of the season, and you don't have one single five-man lineup that you can depend on at any point in a game. And it's like, yeah, that is extremely concerning and an extremely scary thing. And the mood differs from night to night. But it's it's not – at the start of this season, the mood was a completely different shift from like a year ago. Guys were hanging out in the locker room hours after the game. There was music all the time. There was dancing, weird, like, funny conversations happening. And it is a complete shift from that. It's much more quiet. People are much more to themselves because there's a realization that this isn't working. Draymond's coming back, which is great. But they weren't winning all that much when Draymond was playing before his suspension. That's not going to magically fix everything. And so they're getting to a point where something has to change. I think what's what's been clear without Draymond is they need his defense. They're just dead on arrival defensively without him. Um, Steve Kerr mentioned last night nobody was talking in the first they mm-hmm. could, no, no communication. And just one simple thing of um, Scotty Barnes is guarding Steph Curry at portions, but they don't want Steph Curry guarding Scotty Barnes, and they just couldn't get out of that cross match and over and over and over 
and they in their transition defense without Draymond has been a train wreck. Um, another thing Steve said to your point was like, there's a reason I went with this Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney lineup for so long this season when it wasn't working because we had proof of concept it did work. Right. It was a dominant lineup. Did Kaminga speak to the media after the game last night? No, I I did chat with him a little bit in the locker room though, and and look, I think with with Jonathan. When you look at that Denver game, right, the one that he he doesn't play the end, if the Warriors win that game, I think it's a little bit of a different conversation, a little bit of a different reaction. But they're getting outscored 25-4 to 4 in the closing minutes. Denver starts the quarter on a 13-0 run, and Steve didn't change the lineup or go back to Kaminga, who had played really good defense on, on Aaron Gordon and, and Jamal Murray, and he had been playing really well that game. But if they win, I think it's a different circumstance. But as you said, Zach, this has been Jonathan's whole journey with the Warriors it's in and out in and out and I spoke with him also a couple weeks ago and he's like these these certain moments don't phase me as much because of everything that I've been through with this team since I got here but now with him starting with him getting more trust those little moments of him not going back in is a little bit more frustrating he wasn't as frustrated last night of not starting that that second half you know and I think again the team understands they can't they can't play Andrew and Jonathan together. And Jonathan says, I don't want people to think that I'm competing for minutes with Wiggins. But at this point, because you can't play them in the same lineup, it does feel like you have to go with one or the other. So you mentioned they don't know what it is. Like, why are they, why are they in such a rut? And it's never one thing. But right. if you had, if you asked me right now, 36 games in what's the most important thing it's Wiggins it's the fact that Wiggins when you look at Wiggins as we're sitting here talking about all these lineup combinations or one in particular that you can't play and the whole point of a player like Wiggins a three and D wing with some off the bounce juice to you know, break the offense if he needs to the whole point of that guy is you can play him with anybody and now you're talking about he's been for whatever reason personal reasons professional re whatever it is I don't know I mean, I know some of it. He's just been bad, just bad. He's shooting yeah. 29% from three, 47% on two. He doesn't get rebounds. He doesn't pass. He's just kind of doing nothing. Defensively, he's just been eh. And it sounds weird to say about a guy who peaked as like the second or third best player on the team for a stretch in, their, in that title run. The team just kind of needs him to lock into place. They need that one piece to lock into place. And then all of a sudden, you can accommodate a couple of non-shooters. You know, the luxury of Steph and Clay, not only are they incredible shooters, but the way they move around the floor was, and, and they attract so much attention all the time from everybody all over the, every defender has to have half an eye on those two guys, is that it allowed the Warriors to play two complete non-shooters in Draymond and Looney. And be, because of just how much gravity those two guys had, and obviously Draymond's an A-plus playmaker for his position, the, the equation has tilted the other way where you can't accommodate three and that, and that you look at their rotation, Draymond Green, Kaminga, Wiggins, Looney, Jackson Davis. Those are five zeros as outside shooters this year. I mean, Draymond's making shots, but nobody's guarding him. You throw in Corey Joseph, who I don't want to see any more Corey Joseph minutes. I can't watch it. It's unwatchable. I don't care that Chris Paul's out. No, like they're literally playing four on five with Corey Joseph on the floor. Nobody's within 20 feet of him. And he's just kind of dribbling around like he's by himself. Like, oh, is the basket somewhere? Um, just too many non-shooters. And to me, that it just centers 
so much of our own Wiggins. Even Clay, Clay is like this is kind of what you're going to hope for from Clay the last month at this stage of his career. Defensively, he's never going to be what he was, but he's making shots. He was the only guy who showed up and made shots last night. And you mentioned that run two years ago. The further we get away from it, the more magical. And I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like it was a fluke right. or something. Like the more special and unlikely it seems, because Clay hasn't been the same. Denver and both the LA teams were kind of on like injury and whatever like interregnums at that time, and the Warriors came out and they earned it and they were awesome. And we just seem so far away from that to the point that Draymond's coming back. I don't know, like this just doesn't seem salvageable to me right now. No, like you, like I said before, I, if Draymond comes back. It helps with the defense and stuff, but it isn't the it isn't the magic magic fixer and also and but also it's like whenever gary comes back whenever chris comes back i don't think that those are the magic fixers either at the start of the year steve kerr said you know last season was the exception to to us the 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 messiness the dysfunction the the bad basketball that but and you look at the last since 2019 no, the champ that that twenty two championship was the exception. And as you said, that's not to take anything away from what they accomplished. No, but they again, beat the every- they beat the Celtics, a great Celtics right. team, four out of six. Absolutely, and, and Steph played out of his mind in that series. You had like you think Andrew Wiggins was he scored double digits in almost every single game. He scored fifteen or more in almost every single game. Jordan Poole was absolutely incredible for that team. But you had these the secondary and. and tertiary scores that the team just doesn't have anymore the defense just isn't there anymore and as you said as you move further and further into this season you see what happened last season you even see what happened the year before they won the championship when they were eliminated in the play-in after losing to the Grizzlies and the Lakers like this this is kind of the rule now and it's it it doesn't it feels like something absolutely incredible will have to happen circumstantially for them to to be able to make that kind of push. You know, I mentioned guys that lock rosters into place and just make everything easier for everybody else and give you access to every kind of lineup you want. I've said it before, an underrated part of that title run that they have never been able to replace was Otto Porter Jr. And that's not so much like Otto Porter Jr. is some great player, like he's barely essentially played since that title run. But his, first of all, he started during the finals. Like, that's a real thing that happened. Otto Porter was inserted (laughs) into the championship starting five of a team like 19 months ago. Um, And his size, shooting, cutting, he's like a Batum-esque player. Someone made that comparison to me yesterday. Like, just a Nick Batum, if you put him next to four guys who do everything else with the ball, he's the perfect placeholder. They just never have been able to find that guy at that size with that shooting ability and that level of IQ. But yeah. let's talk about salvageability. Draymond is coming back. And the first thing that I keep thinking of is, is this just going to introduce a new version of the can Wiggins and Kaminga play together about Draymond and Kaminga? Because, like, look, here are your options. Like, Steph and Clay are going to start, right? Mm-hmm. So that leaves three starting spots. If you want to start a center, like a real center, Jackson Davis or Looney, that leaves us two. Mm-hmm. I think Wiggins just has to be out of the equation. He's just not playing well enough right now. Mm-hmm. Kaminga, if you don't start him now, you're just creating a firestorm again. So if he starts and Draymond starts and a true center starts, that's three non-shooters with Stephen Clay. Do mm-hmm. I start Draymond at center and slot a Moody or a Pajemski in there next to Kaminga and Draymond? Maybe that's kind of small. Do I 
dare not start Kaminga. Something I was thinking last night that I don't think they would do is without Chris Paul, there's just no off the dribble creation at all when Steph yeah. is on the bench. Would they ever think about bringing Draymond off the bench to be that kind of quarterback? Or, I mean, you can start him and still have him play that role. But, like, do you have any, like, what's the starting five of this team going to be? I have literally no idea. I have seven different versions of it written out. And I think that Steve Kerr does, too. Because, as we talked about, you know, they played 13 different starting lineups. And Steve is in such a, such a search mode. And, and I asked him a couple of days ago, like, is there a world in which, yeah, you guys you have Draymond back, you're fully healthy, but these younger guys, these guys who have kind of helped you out and kept you somewhat afloat, retain their starting lineup. And Steve looked at me and he said, if if it's leading to wins, that is what we're going to go with. Is there a world in which Draymond Green can come off the bench? Absolutely. We've seen it, you know, a couple times here and there. We saw it in the playoffs last season, right? He came off the bench a couple times, a couple other places sprinkled throughout. And Draymond is the kind of guy who has enough humility right to be able to to see those adjustments and understand them and be okay with that and i think right now this team is absolutely nothing is working for them that you have to put everything on the table in terms of you know kaminga and draymond starting it's definitely an option because when the five-man starting lineup of clay and steph and wiggins and draymond and looney worked it was one of the best groups out there so there is a world in which you know you could have a a player like Kaminga and Draymond and Jackson Davis or a Looney, you know, starting out there as long as it actually works. I think that's kind of the question right now of, of can, can any of it mesh together? Because for some reason this season, no, like no, just no one can play together and no one can has the right kind of chemistry to, to lead to something good. If you look historically at the Draymond Kaminga minutes, they're kind of eh. I think last year that I looked it up, they were like minus two, combined minus two in like 500 minutes. And Kaminga, you know, he's at his best when he can be a slasher and a role man. And like, that's kind of Draymond's role as the screen setter and the fulcrum of the offense. And, you know, like just the spacing last night was totally yeah. off with Wiggins, Kaminga, and a center. I, I, it's going to be very interesting. I think it also depends on... <laughs> like and it's kind of weird you have to pick which one you want to focus on do you want to try and have really good spacing and, and and get like actively work to get Steph Curry open all stuff or do you want to focus on your defense because as you were reading off like where they rank in, in defensive efficiency and offensive efficiency like their defense is really really bad right now and Steve said oh when he switched the starting lineup to make it Chris Paul and in the starting lineup and Looney back in the start, it was to, to bolster our defense and hey, that just didn't work. That wasn't the lineup for that. Right. But so if you're, if, if Draymond's coming back and you say, okay, this is the time that we can really try and oomph our defense up. Okay. Maybe you, you trot out that kind of defensive minded starting lineup at first, but as we're kind of talking about the inverse of that is you mess up all of your spacing. No one's going to be able to spread the floor. It kind of feels like they have to pick either or right now but neither one of them are leading to really good results. Yeah, if you want to look at how bad their spacing was last night, there's two possessions. The first one, remember the Wiggins bank shot that just hit all bank, like no no rim <laughs> at all? And Jackson Davis and Kaminga were both in the lane, and there was this little triangle of clumped together guys, and Wiggins was like, you know what, I'll just shoot all backboard. Next possession, he just pulled up for like the worst shot in the NBA, the 21-foot, not a three, off the dribble two. Then there was a play early in the game where Clay came off uh, right side of the floor, came off a DHO with Jackson Davis. 
and had some momentum going into the lane. Well, what happened? Kaminga was on the left wing. His guy clogged the lane, and Clay couldn't drive. And so what did Kaminga do? He cut. That's smart. Problem. Andrew Wiggins was in the corner on his side of the floor. Wiggins' guy came in, crashed on Kaminga. Clay turned the ball over. There's just no room to do anything. I don't know what the answers are. I just... If they're like, I just with with Moody doing what he did last night, and I think Moody needs to play somehow, some way. I just, I wonder if they're just going to bench Wiggins completely. Like he just hasn't been playable really, and I don't know what the puzzle is. But as I'm looking at Pajemski over here and Moody over here and Draymond and Kaminga, who I think has been largely good this season on both ends of the floor, Kaminga, like he's never going to be a Steve Kerr kind of player. He's never going to be point five basketball get off it, cut, great passing feel. But his passing on the move has has really improved. Like he's making smart, pretty quick reads on the move. He's always going to want to play with it a little bit and be a bulldozer, but that's what he's good at. I The more I look at him, like I just don't know how you find, unless Wiggins starts to play like Andrew Wiggins again or what he was two years ago. Like I, I wonder if he's just going to be the odd man out like completely. I it, I mean, it's again, it's not, not off the table. And as you as Draymond comes back and you need that more spacing, like they view because Moses Moody has been the one who so far has kind of been on the outside, right? He's got the short end of the stick, but as you bring Draymond back and you need more floor spacing, the guy that they have now on the roster who can help spread is Moses because they want him to be what they see his potential role. If he can carve out a role on this team is just as a knockdown shooter. That's what they see him as, but he has a little bit more size. So it's an option. Steve has a hard time kind of going to Moses. He's always been the guy who just finds himself right on the outside, always gets cut in line by Pajemski or the next young guy, whoever it is. Uh, but in terms of like Wiggins versus Kamingo, like, like th- this team isn't built around a lot of athleticism. And those two guys have always been like the big athletes of the team. They're going to have to go for one of them. And as you said, yeah, Kaminga has been worlds better than Andrew this season. And his IQ is getting better. His his playmaking, his reading is getting better. So I do see them continuing to lean on Kaminga more than Andrew. I think it just is a question of does that does he fall completely out? As you said in the opening, we're a month away from from the trade deadline. What can what can transpire there? What can come of that? I, I it's Wiggins' role on the team. I think is going to be something to definitely watch over the next month. Really, at this point, and then we'll see after that. You know, if there are two foot-in-mouth statements that don't define the Warriors of the last 10 years, because winning and Steph Curry define the Warriors of the last 10 years, but they they are hovering at all times for, for the schadenfreude group. Schadenfreude? Schaden, whatever you say. that People who feel that and want to experience that at the expense of the Warriors. One is light years ahead, which will never, ever die. And the, no. second, the second is two timelines. And I was guilty of it. I, I'll cop to it right off the bat. When they won the title in 2022, I said, that's vindication for the idea of two timelines because they were able to win in the present and they have all this stuff coming in the future. And in the kind of um, basketball nirvana of that moment of watching Steph do what he did and all that, I, you know, we all knew it at the time, but I think we kind of glossed over like the guys on the two timelines, like, the second timeline did like literally nothing in that championship run, like complete zero. And I think that the optimism that, Hey, just maybe 
they can pull off not the impossible, but one of the tightest needles to thread. A needle that really like only the Spurs have done really, really well in the past 25 years. And that was with an all-time draft day trade heist for Kawhi Leonard, uh, who then left. Uh, I, I think the optimism was, well, okay, th- they didn't produce this time, but but they're coming. And I think I underestimated, others underestimated how long it would be if and when they actually started to be productive. Like, yeah, you won this year. Well, Steph's just still here getting older. Clay's still here getting older. Like, what about the next year and the next year and the next year? Like, they may not be ready by two years from now, three years from now. And they frankly just haven't been. And that's totally normal for young players. We don't need to go through the Shingoons and the Halliburtons and all the guys that they didn't pick. Like, that happens to every team. Wiseman is gone. That's a disaster. And the return for him is a disaster. There is still hope for both Moody and Kaminga. In fact, I think there are corners of the Warriors front office slash ownership who are so committed to Kaminga that I'd kind of be surprised if they trade him. Um, We'll talk about that. Like, there's still hope for those guys. Those guys could both be really good NBA players. The point that the two timeline skeptics had all along and have been proven right, and I was wrong to get caught up in the euphoria two years ago, is that even if they do become productive, it's going to be too late for the veterans. And I think that is where we are right now. But let's talk about the trades. As I look at this roster, Kendra, and I know Toronto was in town last night. Ananobi's already been traded. Looks like a nice trade for both teams, New York and Toronto. Quickly looks awesome with the Raptors. Um, I like, I struggle to see a deal that is, that I really like and, and think is worth it for this team. Siakam is like the name everyone's going to be talking about. I, I love Pascal. I think he's a good player. I don't know what the price is. If I'm Toronto, I just, I want Kaminga. Like I just, like I'm, I want Kaminga and you, you were nodding along. Like I don't get the sense that they'd give up Kaminga, maybe not in that deal. I don't know for sure. To be clear, I don't right. know for sure. If you're asking me today, January 8th, depending on what other parts are in that deal and it would have to include some big salaries, I'm not sure they do that. And like, if they did, does it actually make them good enough to ch- I mean, you look at the yeah. West, the top four, yeah. the four teams that have separated themselves in the West right now are Denver, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, and the Clippers. And that's not even counting Phoenix, Dallas is playing well. New Orleans is playing well. Um, like, on the one hand, you can look at those teams and say, only Denver is proven, like, as, as someone that we really need to fear slash respect of all those teams in the playoffs. On the other hand, it's a lot of teams, and you're a half game ahead of Utah. Like, at some point, it's like, to what end are we doing this? Yeah, I mean, the, the question that people, whenever people talk about trades, right, and, they're, and they say, oh, they should go get... Siakam, or they should go get someone who the, the thing that they never then answer is okay, but who are you giving what are you giving up to get that? Right. And as you said, if if, if they're gonna, if Toronto would ask for a Kaminga or another team would ask for Kaminga, A, I completely agree with you that there are high uh, higher ups in this organization that are infatuated with Kaminga and are not ready to part with him. Nor should, and again, as we just spent the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes talking about how much better Kaminga has been on this year than some other one of his other, you know, his teammates and stuff. You, you, it's, it's harder to, it's harder to part with that. And then you ask, as, as you said, again, okay, does that actually get you to the level in which you need to go? If you're packaging, if you're putting together this big package to get one player, well, you're giving up a lot of other stuff too just to get one thing back that might not necessarily be the thing. And, and that also, you 
depending on what's being sent out, like I got to pay that dude forty million dollars a year starting next year, and I got Clay's free agency. Like I, it's at some point this is going to become financially, if not untenable, then undesirable for them to spend this amount of money on a team that just isn't very good. Right. Exactly. I think when it comes to the trade deadline, things that the Warriors would want to try and find, you want more scoring because, frankly, you're really missing Jordan Poole scoring right now. And we've seen that a lot. You know, you know who especially. else is missing Jordan Poole scoring right now? Jordan Poole and the Wizards. Because that dude, like, I don't know what the hell <laughs> happened fair. to him. Well, I do know. Actually, I do know what that happened to him. Fair. We all saw what happened to him. <laughs> we did. We did. Okay. The version of Jordan that was on the team before, that's what they're missing. They're, but they're missing those kinds of things. They're missing a bit more size. But like, BP again, before, before punch. <laughs> that's like the BC, all those types of things. I appreciate that. But it, it is it is hard. And it's hard to imagine, again, that there's one move that the Warriors can make that's going to salvage all this. Because frankly, again, because they have been struggling with so many different things and no lineups have worked and all this stuff, it's they don't know the one thing that is, this is what is going on wrong. It's hard to be able to go find the Band-Aid or go find the remedy for that when there are just so many different things on a night-to-night basis that are causing them trouble. Now, if you want to tell me Wiggins, not Wiggins, I'm sorry, Chris Paul's expiring contract, sorry, Chris, mm-hmm. plus Moody, plus another salary you don't care too much about, a.k.a. not Kaminga, plus the two first-round picks that you can trade right now without without loosening the protections on the one they already owe, which now goes to Portland, I think, via Memphis, via Boston. If you're going to tell me that's a trade, Chris Paul plus Moody plus two picks for Siakam, you got to think about that. You have to think about that, obviously. Like, and maybe you do it, but again, it's A, to your, your competing impulses are like, well, does, to what end? Like, are we actually good enough to justify this, even if the outlay isn't as dramatic as it would be with Kaminga? Versus B, can you really say, well, let's just live to fight another day when the clock on Steph Curry's entire career just ticks? And t- it's, it's a tough dilemma to be in. Now, I'm not sure Toronto does that deal anyway. Um, and like, other than Siakam... Like, who's the big name that's really helping this team that's available? Like, I don't really think Levine is a great fit there. I don't really think the Warriors love Levine as a fit. That contract is what it is. Um, and then you go down, well, what about a, a smaller, like, marginal move for a good role player? I'm like, okay, but they ha- their whole team is, like, good, okay role players. Like, is that really I, – I, I can't find a trade that I really love for them. Yeah. No, it, it, the, the, the market out there for people for them to go get – is tricky and then again you, you have to what is the, their overall goal right is just to take as much advantage of what Steph has left right and and but what 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 is going to get them there and then it's it okay it's it's bringing a bunch of younger guys who are who are younger and fresher and can do this or is it bringing more vet like what it is again that that is going to take them to whatever their goal is there, there isn't a lot of options out there and and I don't know that like you just kind of keep going in circles of, of as, I, as I say all this, as I say all this, I don't mind the idea of DeJounte Murray for them just because his contract is kind of cost controlled for the next three or four years. I don't mind that. Uh, before I let you go, I did want to say this. Um, I mentioned Draymond and his mm-hmm. podcast, the Draymond Green show talked about how I, I guess he was thinking about retiring because of the emotional strain all this was taking on him. Uh, when this, when the suspension happened, I mentioned um, 
Draymond's Hall of Fame case and how I thought he was likely to make the Hall of Fame. Um, I admittedly did not do a deep dive at that point on like, here's why I think he's likely to make the Hall of Fame other than his accolades and all that. I got a very large amount of pushback. Not large. Like, I got a lot of response to that from around the league. Coaches, front office people, agents, players. I would say a lot of it was like, yeah, Draymond's a Hall of Famer. Some of it, to a degree I didn't expect, was, oh, come on. Hall of Fame? Like, this guy got to play with Steph and Clay. Like, that's why he was as good as he was more than anything else. And a couple people, a couple coaches, like, was Robert Ori in the Hall of Fame? No. Is Derek Fisher in the Hall of Fame? No. Is Horace Grant in the Hall of Fame? No. Is Rasheed Wallace going to be in the Hall of Fame? No. And I think Rasheed probably on talent was maybe better than Draymond Green. But then he just like, so then I just, I had our stats and info people do the deep dive. I'm like, do the deep dive for me because I can't do it. I can't do it on basketball reference. It doesn't work. Um, Horace Grant was a one-time all-star, I think. Um, Rasheed Wallace did not win a title. Uh Robert Ory never made an all-star team unless he made one, and I'm forgetting off the top of my head. So I had them look it up. Uh, Draymond has four all-star appearances and four championships. Um, There are 31. This is according to stats and information, ESPN stats and information. There are 31 players in NBA history. I guess they just did NBA history, not ABA, but we'll just leave it as it is. Uh, With three all-star selections and three championships. So Draymond has four and four, three and three. Um, They are... All in the Hall of Fame, except for LeBron James, who will get in, Steph Curry, who will get in, Clay Thompson, who will get in, Draymond Green, who we're talking about is getting in. And Willie Knowles is the only retired Hall of Fame eligible player. He played for the Knicks in the 60s and the Celtics in the 60s to have three and three and not get in the Hall of Fame. He has uh, three all-star appearances. and I think he has four all-star appearances, three championships. Every single player ever in the history of the league with four all-star selections and four championships, every one is in the Hall of Fame, except for LeBron, Curry, Clay, and Draymond. So, like, if that's just a, now four and four, you could say is an artificial cutoff. It's one hell of a cutoff. I just thought that factoid Willie Knowles, Draymond Green, was interesting and relevant as he uh, returns to a team that he has really kind of helped define with Steph in terms of their style of play and their identity for a long time now. And I'll tell you, as a neutral basketball fan, I've said this before, Kendra. Neutral. I just like good basketball. I like good stories. I want these three dudes to play together forever and ever and ride off into the sunset together on a good Golden State Warriors team. And this year has been a reminder of how rare that is and how most of these sort of stories unfold like late career Kobe, rest in peace, and late career Dirk Nowitzki, where you just kind of straggle along as the team tries to rebuild around you. It's very, very hard. Any parting thoughts? We didn't mention Dario Saric. I meant to mention him. He's playing well. Any parting thoughts? Parting thoughts on Dario Saric. When you were talking about Otto Porter, I almost brought up that's that's what kind of what they kind of hoped Dario uh, would bring to the team. No, I think parting that's not my parting thought. I think parting thoughts is just that this team is is uh, is out of it, it's going to be it's not going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the year. You know, I think now that Draymond's on the cusp of coming back, he's back with the team. That is a good first step, and you at least hope that that injects some positive energy around this team um but it's not gonna fix everything this team lost only eight games at chase center all season last year and they are beyond that already at this point in the year it it's gonna be a different look and it's gonna be a challenge but 
it's hard to write off the Warriors ever, right? As long as you have Stephen Curry and you have Clay Thompson and Draymond's coming back, but it's it's going to take more active work than just hoping everything clicks like it did a couple of years ago when they won that championship. We're at the point where I haven't like written them off because the the residual achievement history is so right. big. But cognitively, yeah. I have. Like when I start thinking about championship teams and playoff matchups and who can match up with who and who should make a trade and who's one move away, they just don't enter my yeah. brain anymore. They're over here on the yeah. side being a circus and being disorganized and in, in, in constant drama. I just, it doesn't feel like it's happening this season, which makes me sad. And you will be there. You will be there to chronicle all of it. Kendra Andrews. Oh, I will. Essential. Um, you get. You get. Who do. Who do we got coming up uh, for you? You got a road. You're gonna go on the road with the team. They're coming. They're going oh, on the road boy. quite a bit in the oh, next month. Coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think this next stretch again is going to be an interesting one. You have. You have uh, New Orleans in San Francisco on Wednesday, and then you have, as you mentioned, Zach to start this off. February. End of January. February. March barely any time at chase center it is such a they haven't played any games on the east coast they went to detroit and cleveland earlier in the year all road so i think that this is it's going to be i mean maybe a change of scenery is what they need but it's it's a lot of road trips a lot of cold weather which i'm not too excited for but it'll it'll be interesting get ready bundle up kendra andrews thank you see you soon thanks zach All right. Deep breaths, everyone. Another Western Conference powerhouse full of stars and drama that is in a little bit of trouble, although they eked out a win over the Crosstown LA Clippers. The Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, sometimes Austin Reeves, not all that much else going on. One time, long ago, the Lakers were 14-9 and champions of the inaugural in-season tournament, hung a banner, which I support. I like the banner. No snark will be had at the banner, at the expense of the banner on this podcast. They were 14 and nine. They're now 18 and 19. That equates to four and 10, if my math is right, over their last whatever games that is. Not great. Dave McMenamin, there has been Darvin Ham rumblings. There have been lineup changes. There have been... Uh, ham sandwiches or uh, ham sandwich eating people in Secaucus not judging whether something was a two or a three. <laughs> champ. Great use of champ by LeBron. Yeah, Anyone can really see that champ. It. I love try to incorporate that into your life, calling people champ, but sarcastically, it's a really good move. Um, and I mean that sincerely. The Lakers uh staved off a little bit of drama with that Clippers win last night. Ugly win. Dave, first of all, how are you? I'm uh Feeling like a bit of deja vu because I feel like when you are covering a LeBron James team with expectations and they fail to meet them at any point during the season, you fall into this churn of what needs to occur in order to uh, get back on track. And that could include anything from major roster uh, changing trades to you know, the coach being on the hot seat. Uh, so it's kind of wash, rinse, repeat uh, how I'm feeling right now. Um, but trying to parse out what is real and what's not. Is the coach on the hot seat? I've heard, I've well, what is the coach on the hot seat? Let's just start there. Is Darvin Ham actually on the hot seat? No. If in the sense that the hot seat means he could be imminently fired. Um, is there desires from without 
uh, from outside the organization and sometimes within the organization for um, a bit, little bit of a better performance from Darvin Ham, choosing some consistency with lineups. Absolutely. Uh, are there very real things that he had to deal with, including a lot of road games uh, and a bunch of role player injuries? Also true. And so this is a, a portion of the schedule the team had been looking forward to for weeks, getting back home and getting healthy. And you kind of saw both things come together a little bit against the Clippers because it wasn't just playing their third straight home game of 2024. D'Angelo Russell was back in the lineup after missing three and a half games with a bruised tailbone. And guess what? He had 11 of his 13 points in the second half when they were able to pull away from a team that had gone 14 and two over their last 16 games. It turns out it helps to have a former all-star in uniform. If you want to win and as good as LeBron and AD are, they are, but two players uh, you need to have talent to win this league. And, and part of the thing that was plaguing the Lakers over that one month downturn was you have Rui Hachimura missing time. You have D'Angelo Russell missing time. You have Cam Reddish playing one game and he can't play the next game. Uh, you have Jared Vanderbilt looking like the spry switchable defender one game and shooting the gaps, getting steals and getting offensive rebounds. And then his foot flaring up and not looking quite as mobile the next game. Uh, this is the real challenges this team's dealing with. It's not just whatever plays that Darwin Ham's putting on the clipboard. Is he putting plays on the clipboard? I, I think that actually might be part of the issue with why their offense stinks is that they just – it's it just seems like random and haphazard um way it way too often like uh, even a lot of their set pieces that I really loved last year like the play when Anthony Davis would come off a pin down in the left corner like I just like I have I feel like I haven't seen that play in 2 weeks and 6 5 3 10 years ago pick a number random offense around LeBron James was good enough like that's all you just like give LeBron the ball and like now he's 39 years old he can't be the engine of an efficient random offense and look I, I sound like a broken record saying this and I'm sorry to sound like a broken record this team's 23rd in offense they've been about 23rd 24th the entire season it's just not ever going to be good enough in the west to do anything serious last year they were a little bit better than that but still bad and the west was much worse than it is currently um they've been a bad offense for most of LeBron's time in Los Angeles frankly and a lot of that is due to injuries and and all that and I've said all year, like any change they have to make has got to address that. Like that has to be the first priority. You could not have a wizards, a wizardian offense, which is what they have right now and expect to compete for a, a second round appearance, let alone a finals appearance, which is all LeBron cares about is making the finals and in-house the, the 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 first card to play was just Reeves has to play more. You need to start Reeves, play Reeves, play your three best players a maximum amount of time. They've done that. That hasn't really worked. I When Hachimura comes back, I want them to go all in on the Reeves, Hachimura, LeBron, AD, Quartet. I think their concern with that is probably like, oh, whoever this, no matter who the fifth guy is, our perimeter defense might be a, a little bit shaky. And my response to that would be like, it's like your perimeter defense can be shaky, not shaky, whatever. If you can't score, you're not going to win. Um, I don't know. Like what? What? I didn't. I didn't like the Vando 
move to start him because I just don't feel like that's going to help the offense. And you know, I don't know why is this? Why 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 are they just stuck in mud, Dave? Why can't they ever score baskets? One of the problems with their offense this year will be linked back to coaching, and that's fine. Uh, Darvin Ham, with the benefit of having an offseason to kind of plan for the pieces he thought he would have healthy, implemented a new offense that they were running last year, a five-out offense. And the team, some of it because of the injuries we mentioned, and some of it just it not taking and, and the stars not buying into it um, to the point where they would – you know, for instance, Darvin Ham said he wanted Austin uh, Anthony Davis shoot six threes a game. <laughs> Anthony Davis took like six threes in the month of November. Uh, so clearly he didn't buy into the vision that Darvin Ham had for this five-out offense because it was uh, very much predicated on AD's involvement as the trigger man, as the trail big. Uh, you know, I had one person who's you know, been around the Lakers for a long, long time and said it reminded him of, Mike Brown's uh, first season coaching the Lakers uh, when Kobe midway through the year brought Steve Blake and Matt Barnes together and said, Hey, like, let's just run the triangle <laughs> that we were running with Phil and was going against the, the kind of the, the game plan that Mike Brown had put into place. Yeah. That is part of the problem with this offense that they spent some time with a vision that didn't take. And so they're having to kind of reform it as the year goes on. And some of it is, you know, they don't have guys quite with the two-way ability that they thought they did. You know, Cam Reddish, uh, they tried to reform as a defensive-minded player, and he has had some good defensive instincts in terms of getting his hands on balls. You know, he'll have multiple, multiple steal games, but his offense – if it's not catch and shoot from the corner, has been pretty clunky. Um, you know, drawing charges, um, you know, missing some mid-range shots, uh, just not having the requisite court vision to really keep the ball moving. Um, then you could maybe go with a guy like Christian Wood, who certainly we know he has offensive instincts, but does he have the defensive uh, side of things? Now, he did have two blocks against the Clippers and, and gave some effort on that end. But I think they keep finding we they're going to have to make that type of payoff. Like, okay, we can have Austin for his offense, but where's the defense? Or we can have um, we can have Christian Wood for his offense, but where's the defense? We get Vando for his defense, but where's the offense? I think that's kind of what's the the thing at play here. Um, and I don't know when you don't have time to practice, and you don't have healthy bodies to practice. Uh, it's a tough kind of thought process to go through of all of a sudden we're going to figure out how to do this better. It's interesting to think about like, why, why have they struggled so much on offense despite having one of the greatest chess masters of all time? And Anthony Davis is playing about as well as he's ever played in the last month. And their offense is still bad. Um, part of it, you know, is some obvious stuff like LeBron's older. We've talked about the role players. You look at, there's there's one number that jumps off the charts to me. They're 29th in drives this year. Only the Warriors, who by design are like 30th in drives every single season because they just don't run that kind of offense, ha have fewer drives. They just don't get downhill at all anymore. Even LeBron, when they run the LeBron AD pick and roll, which has not been, I think, as effective as they hoped it would be when they moved AD to a five full-time. It just, it just hasn't gotten traction. 
LeBron's go-to move on that when he drives into like a drop-back defense is now like crossing over and going for that like lefty fadeaway leaning. That's becoming like his trademark move now. He's not getting to the basket. And, you know, then you zoom out and you're like, what What else is there? Well, I think you nailed it. Five out. You said the words five out. The disappearance of AD's jumper. Like all LeBron's great offensive teams had a shooting big man. Kevin Love. Now, Kevin Love didn't play center a ton in Cleveland. Tristan Thompson did. Um, and Bosch in Miami. And just the flexibility that it gives you to play a non-shooting wing like a Vanderbilt or like like Dwayne Wade in Miami. A totally different player than Jared Vanderbilt, obviously. Yeah, right. And and the ability to go five out at times. They just don't they don't have that. And then they just don't have any downhill drivers anymore next to LeBron. All those guys are like there's no equivalent of a Kyrie Irving or even like a Dennis Schroeder on this team right now. And then like the supporting shooting obviously just isn't there. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the league. Those Cleveland and Miami teams were some of the best shooting teams in the league. I just think it's just a and then you look back at the team that won the title. And they were not a, like a great half-court offense team, first-shot half-court offensive team. They won with defense and size. And one of the ways that manifested itself was hellacious offensive rebounding. The Lakers are 28th in offensive rebounding. So playing AD at center just hasn't really won them as many of the trade-offs offensively as you think it would because they're, t- they're not getting offensive rebounds because they're not that big. And the floor is not well spaced for his rolls to the rim. It's just, it's just, it's just clunky. And truthfully, like other than just going all in on the guys I mentioned, Reeves and Hachimura, and Rui just had. I mean, he's been in and out of the lineup. You know, those four guys have only played sixty-two minutes together the entire season. Those four. I, I don't. You know, short of a trade, which I guess is what we should talk about. I, I just don't see this team. Uh, we just have a long enough sample now. This is just not a good offensive team, and I don't, I don't really see a great fix for it, honestly. Austin Reeves was talking to us about this last week, and he said, like, look at the other teams around the league. They have the institutional knowledge and the reps playing with one another, and that does lend itself towards offensive cohesion. I don't know if we can continue to wait for this Lakers team to get healthy, uh, wait for Gabe Vincent to come off this knee uh, surgery, wait for Rui Hachimura's calf strain to heal, where – you know, you get a sample size of a month or whatever as they grow versus look for something else that's out there. Because if you're going to have to grow on the fly anyway, get more talent. And, and I think that's kind of the conversation we should be having about the Lakers right now, not whether Darvin Ham should be the coach or not. Um, I, I, quite frankly, it's can they get some more talent between now and February 8th that will allow them to – make a push similar to the way they did last year. I mean, you just look at the numbers to your point. The the four that I mentioned are minus five in 62 minutes. Reeves, Davis, LeBron are minus 49 in 461 minutes. LeBron and AD are barely positive, plus 23 in almost 850 minutes, which is essentially plus zero. They just haven't found a combination that works. And if they're not going to change the coach, which you and I seem to agree seems unlikely, and honestly, like, I didn't hear I didn't hear a lot of complaints about Darvin Ham's coaching last year when they were in the conference finals. Um Correct. I don't think he's done a great job this year. I already mentioned the offense. Um the Vanderbilt thing in a, in a lot of ways you look back at the team that won the title and you understand even though Darvin wasn't on that staff 
what he was going for with the Vanderbilt lineup change. Like, let's just get big and nasty and get stops and get out and run. Um, the problem is you can't get out and run enough to make up for his spacing issues, and you're not becoming this gigantic offensive rebounding team that you were with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and all those guys. And also LeBron's almost 40 years old now. Um, and we don't need to go into the KCPs and Caruso's and all those guys yeah. that are not here. Um, but if if he's going to stay the coach, then I – and we agree that this team as is is not good enough to do what LeBron wants it to do. And if you have LeBron on your team, you just don't waste seasons. I think the pressure is going to ramp up, not just externally, but internally to do something at the trade deadline. And we know that they have D'Lo's contract and Hachimura's contract and one pick they can trade. I mean, who who's out there? Like, do we need to have the obvious Zach Levine conversation? Is like, is, is that the conversation right now? Like, we're... You're, four years of 45 million plus i think you start with zach levine and then you also discuss Dejounte mary as kind of the two lanes that most of your thought process should be occupying right now after the lakers and, and see what you can get done because you talk about uh, offensive talent or paint penetration those are things that both those guys could bring to the table. Um, and there's also like a just need of an infusion of energy, I think, with this group right now um, that we're seeing. And either one of those guys, I think, it could provide that. That's a lot of money. Zach Levine's contract is a lot of money for a guy who has not done a lot of winning in the NBA. I get the theory of him. Um, I've said before, if any team is going to trade for him, A, the price has to be low and the Lakers can only pay low prices. So that would apply to them. And B, um, he's got to be the third option. He he has to finish plays and not start them for the most part. And he has to be buttressed by elite defensive talent at multiple positions. The Lakers check most of those, all those boxes, honestly. The question to me is, what's the price? If the price is D'Lo who's fine. Like that's, that's as enthusiastic as I can get about D'Lo fine. And Hachimura, who's also fine. And one first round pick. And maybe, I don't know if that's enough. salary. you might have to add a little more salary. I, I think that's viable. The question for the, is, is that actually in that, honestly, like that may be enough. Like Woj has described the Zach Levine market as quote unquote barren, which is a really depressing word. Like barren, like, Cold wasn't good enough. Barren. It's just barren. Like, we cannot grow any crops. Like, nothing is growing. It's just barren. The void of life. Just, just like, nothing. Um, can't even find water. Like, there's just nothing there. Um, that may be enough. And then I keep hearing these reports like, well, Atlanta would want at least Reeves. And Chicago would want Reeves. And I'm like, maybe I'm just a little crazy, but... Austin Reeves makes 12 million, 13 million, 14 million, 15 million. He's going to decline that option. So let's just say 12, 13, 14. Zach Levine makes three times that amount of money. DeJounte Murray makes two times that amount of money. I just think those are lateral moves for the Lakers. Like, I just don't think when you factor in what Levine doesn't bring on defense, and not that Reeves is like a, a good or great defense player, but he doesn't make like mistakes that destroy your whole schematic integrity. And Murray's Murray's good. I like DeJounte Murray. Like 
if those teams are going to insist on Reeves, I just look at them like, I don't really see, is there a point to that for the Lakers? Like, I just don't see what the point of that is. No, I mean, if you're giving out that much, if we're, we're going to say it's D'Lo, Rui Hachimura, and Austin Reeves. And or, or just Reeves plus one of those two plus filler. Okay. Like, we don't have to, you, sure. you can take out one of those two. Reeves is okay. the one that matters to me. Right. Well, but I mean, I guess the question is, if you're also getting Bogdanovich back from Atlanta, or if you're also getting Caruso back right. from if you, if you Chicago, it. you're going to need some more to even consider, including Austin Reeves. But to me, at some point, you're going to really suffer as uh, an organization if you continue to identify and develop talent only to send it out. Like the culture piece just won't exist. And and maybe, maybe that's something that is unreasonable to expect when you have the pressure of the, this window is only open for so long when you have one of the top five players of all time in a 21st season and we'll worry about culture on the other side of this. Uh, it's a win now mode, do whatever it, it takes, win at all costs type of proposition. But to me, including Austin Reeves in, in any of uh, those conversations outside of like, okay, here is a can't miss guy. Here is another top 10 player, top 20 player that you're pursuing to add to the group with LeBron and AD. Okay, fine. But outside of that, I can't imagine a, a, a better role player because one, he has the trust of those two guys. He has the confidence of those two guys. He's been a proven playoff performer. He has the trust and the kind of, I don't know, the support of um, the bus family. Um you know, uh, the, the brothers who identified him in, in the draft process and the governor and Jeannie who you know, really uh, that's a point of pride for her to have someone like Austin Reeves, who was a homegrown Laker organization product, become a star. So, no. Um, but at the same time, if you are someone who represents the Chicago Bulls or someone who represents the Atlanta Hawks and you're talking to a reporter, of course you're going to say, I want all the best assets possible at this stage of the game. You know, it doesn't I mean those reports don't really matter. What matters is what happens when, you know, Rob Palenka picks up the phone. You know, it's I've had a lot of conversations with people in the last week and I've asked like, am I, are we, overrating Austin Reeves like a little bit like Austin, Austin Reeves averaging 15 points a game five assists four rebounds 48 percent shooting 34 percent on threes 34 percent is not great 58 percent on twos is very good for a perimeter player taking tough shots are we like Zach Levine's averaged 25 points a game in the NBA on like almost 50 40 90 shooting DeJounte Murray's a 20 point a game scorer elite mid-range shooter Defense you can take or leave depending on the night. Not as good as his reputation, but can be good. Like, if if are we holding your nose at Austin Reeves, are we overrating Austin Reeves? And then, I, but I I actually don't think it's so much that as like, well, what are the numbers? What are Zach Levine's numbers not telling you? And they're not telling you about his defense and just like his his playmaking isn't as intuitive as Austin Reeves. DeJounte Murray's probably a little better than Austin Reeves, but not like that much better than Austin Reeves. So I, 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 I kind of 
considered the question and, and, and at least in the context of these two players said, no, I don't, I don't think we're like wildly overrating Austin Reeves. Um, now, if he's not in these, to, to your point, you make a good point about if you start expanding the deals to have not just these two names that we've talked about, but other good players coming with them, that's a different conversation. But those conversations get very, very tricky because then you really start to argue about which the teams start to argue about who should include the pick, who's who's got the, who's got to put the extras in, um, and it and it gets it gets tricky. Because Bogdanovich, Atlanta Bogdanovich, is a really good player. I think I would vote him six man of the year right now. Um, Caruso, look, Lakers fans are familiar with Caruso. The Bulls love Caruso. His contract is outrageous. And that's the other reality with Austin Reeves is the contract is just way better than Zach Levine's contract. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see. And really it may just depend on how they play in the next month, because if they're, if, if they're just hovering in the same place, the pressure is going to be pretty high. If they start playing much better than this, the pressure will ease. If they start playing much worse than this, then you have a totally different set of circumstances where, like, is it even worth it to, like, is this just a lost cause kind of season? Um, so it, it will be, um, I, I thought Brian Windhorst put it very well today in the uh, uh, 5 by 5 on ESPN.com where he said something to the effect of the Lakers, if they make a trade, it will be kicking and screaming. I think that's accurate. I've never got the sense that they want to make a trade. I've never got the sense that they're particularly excited about the prospect of adding Zach Levine to their team at whatever cost, adding a third massive salary potentially alongside LeBron and AD. They do like the players that they signed in the offseason and re-signed in the offseason. They like the idea of continuity. Kicking and screaming, I thought, was a very good way to put it. But look, man, they just got to start winning games or else we're just going to, like the conversation is going to turn to like, can they even make the play-in tournament? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I, even if it is kicking and screaming, I wouldn't ever characterize Rob Palenka as reticent to make trades to overhaul the team. He's basically done it every year uh, since he's had this job when LeBron's been here. It's just not necessarily come at the same timing, right? Like there was the off-season trade with Russell Westbrook, uh, the mid-season trade to get rid of Russell Westbrook, the off-season trade um for anthony davis um et cetera et cetera now the one year he it was apparent the team needed something and they decided not to do it was russell westbrook's first year with the lakers that team around the trade deadline you could already tell uh it it, it needed a change but the determination was what was on the market at that time wasn't ideal and there would have more possibilities would present themselves come the offseason we could come to that point here. And the tough part, if that is the realization for someone like LeBron James is, yeah, I'm healthy right now. Yeah, I'm playing well. And yeah, I'm beating father times, but, and, uh, you know, this is unprecedented. Well, it is unprecedented though. And what happens if you're 22, let's not take it for granted that, that you know, that that's no guarantee. And I don't. So I don't take as- next. I don't take when a dude is the first digit is approaching four in their age. I don't take like next month for granted. I don't care what they're averaging. Like it's it's every day, every game, every dunk, every the dunk he had on Paul George last night. Ooh. It's just like it's crazy. But I don't. I don't. That's the thing is just it's the same thing with Phoenix. Like they get Brad Beal back. Everyone's like, well, now the big three is healthy. So that doesn't mean they're going to be healthy the rest of the season. Just because LeBron and AD have been healthy the whole season doesn't mean you just assume good health. I, it's, I don't know what you do, Dave. I really don't because I don't love those trades. But at some point, if the offense just sucks, 
you're just going to face the choice of accept that you're just not good enough or take a big swing that you may have to swallow hard and hold your nose, but you got to do because otherwise you got, you know that you have no chance. Yeah. And, and listen, that's not the realm of, um, having the best options available to you. If, if you are the Lakers at the same time, maybe you just have to roll the dice and say, Hey, I have this all time. Great. Uh, upright and playing and engaged. And we have his running mate who's playing some of the best basketball game of his uh, basketball of his career. And those two have proven they can do it at, at the biggest stage with talent around them. Like, Let's just get them some more talent and and trust them to make it work. And I, it, that's not the way a lot of organizations run. I recognize that, um, but not a lot of organizations can claim the type of success that LeBron James can claim in his career. So, you know, what's the why do you bring him to LA in the first place? Right, this is what it comes down to. You you knew what you're getting into when you signed him in 2018. Uh, the idea is. You are a contender so long as he's on the roster, and so you push all your chips to the middle of the table each season. I think it may be time to have that conversation, um, unless for the rest of January, as they play eight more home games out of their next nine, they you know, put together the type of run that they did at the end of last year, which was winning 18 out of 24 games between the end of the regular season through the play-in tournament through the first two rounds of the playoffs until they ran into the eventual NBA champs. It is interesting to go back. First of all, when you say it's time to have that conversation, you mean the conversation of like, do we just need to take a big swing just to, just Correct. to see? Correct. It is interesting to go back and think about the AD trade, which is like unquestionably worth it. They won a title. It's worth it. He was 26 or 27 when they made the trade. Like it's, you do that trade 10 times out of 10. What when he, they made the trade, part of the reaction was, oh, he, LeBron's never had a role man like that, like a screen and dive guy like this. This is going to be an amazing pick and roll conversation, a co- combination. And uh, again, they won the title. And if you're going to identify a player to trade to trade for at that time in, in the NBA in 2019, whenever it was, like Anthony Davis was the perfect guy to get. I do think that... All of us, probably LeBron included, overestimated how easy it would be on offense. And it just has never been the offensive fit that I think a lot of us envisioned because Anthony Davis just he looks like a good jump shooter. He jumps like a good jump shooter. He is not a good jump shooter. He has essentially never been, other than a brief run in 2020, a good jump shooter. And at first it was when LeBron was the three and AD was the four, Teams just switched that pick and roll because the defenders were close enough in size that it wasn't like fatal to do it on either end of the switch. So, okay, I didn't really get off the ground. Let's move AD to center. And they've just never had the right ecosystem around LeBron and AD with him at center where it's less switchable. Like even someone like Malik Beasley just just didn't work there last year. Like you think like that would be the perp, like shooter, shooter, shooter. Well, they didn't trust his defense. They just haven't. It's been an well, interesting Malik journey. Malik Beasley also just told Chris Haynes the other day that that he had some off court stuff going on that he didn't explicitly rec- uh, identify, but he owned up for his role of not being prepared to do- give his best. He also talked a healthy amount of 
crapola about the Indiana Pacers and what will happen to the Indiana Pacers <laughs> yeah. if the Bucks and the Pacers meet in the playoffs, which I enjoyed because if like he didn't wait, for, he didn't like give it a month. It's like no. the Pacers just beat your ass like four times in the last three weeks. Like now I'm tripling down and we're going to destroy the Pacers and it's talking like inflict pain in the playoffs. Uh, and he's like a he's been on the Milwaukee Bucks for one second, and he's like, I'm gonna be the guy. I I yeah, enjoyed I enjoyed week, that. The same week, Giannis is saying every single person in the organization has to do better, down to the equipment manager that needs to wash our jerseys better. Malik Beasley, who's been on it for one second, is saying, Ah, I can't wait to first. And the, first of all, the if I'm the, the if I'm the equipment manager, I'm like, wait a second. Is there a stain on your jersey? Like, yeah, what, what did I what on. did I do wrong here? Like, why am I getting roped into this? It's not fair. Anything else Lakers related before? So trades, we got to watch out for trades, I guess. I mean, like, you know, and then those are the two big ones, but there's other things out there, you know, like what if there's a Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges uh, package, you know, like there's, there are teams out there that are going to make trades and um, the Lakers should be recognizing that not only do they, some more talent will help them, but you know, some of the personalities, it, it hasn't appeared to be a full cohesion, right? Um, and you got to recognize that too. Did Space Jam Two leave room for a sequel? Is there going to be a Space Jam Three? Maybe that. Maybe that's what we can talk about next. Regard. I didn't see. Did you see Space Jam Two? The, uh, the I, new I, reckoning. I, what is the subtitle? I, <laughs> a new legacy, I think. Uh, and I did put it on on a flight. And I didn't make it all the way through, but it wasn't because of like disinterest. Just I had some work to do, so I, I haven't seen the whole thing. But someday, I'm, I'm sure I will. Um, I, I have not, I have not seen it. Uh, Terry Rozier, by the way, is a very astute name and is a perfect transition into. We're going to have Bobby Marks come on now and talk about uh, general trade stuff because Charlotte and Rozier has not been talked about a lot as a trade thing. And I think that may start to change in the next couple of weeks. Dave McMenamin just must read, must watch, must listen, covering the soap opera. That is the Los Angeles Lakers. Enjoy, enjoy uh, your time with that team. Thank you, Dave. Great to see you Zach. All right, let's round this off with some trade talk. We're one month from the trade deadline, one week from January 15th, when the rest of the free agent sign in the offseason become trade eligible. Bobby Marks of Naples, Florida. How are you? How are you, my friend? Good. Doing great. Watch out for those alligators. A lot of different creatures down here. Yeah. And Florida men as well. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're a week from January 15th and all that. Um, I just want to go rapid fire through some under the radar, maybe not under the radar, but lesser discussed trade possibilities. I left off with Big Meneman talking about Terry Rogier, And I just feel like, the Hornets exist in this netherworld of like no one's paying attention to them. They lose almost every game. Their most interesting player, two, they're arguably their two most interesting young players. Well, two of their three are injured, LaMelo Ball and Mark Williams. Um, Terry Rozier has two years left on a decent contract. Uh, the the 25-26 is, is uh, only what? It's mostly guaranteed. Never yeah, it's like two, I think it's like two, two million that's not. Yeah, so just um, pretend I didn't say that. Yeah. Um and is playing quite well and I think could fit um a number of teams and it would behoove Charlotte I think to look around and see what they can get. Related to that, it's interesting not not accidentally related to that. Related to that, 
It's interesting to me that Miami has kind of fallen out of the trade discourse considering, A, they're good. And I think they think they can be really good if they can ever get their whole team healthy. Like Tyler Hero's having a good year. Hawkes, they've clearly found something in him. Bam and Jimmy are Bam and Jimmy. Um, I I would bet that they're going to look around for a guard ball handling upgrade. And they have a lot of outgoing salary they can fit in. Like Rozier, Miami is an interesting fit. Rozier, Lakers is an interesting fit. Miami, Charlotte. Let's start there. What interests you about these teams? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for Charlotte, what interests me, and I've uh, I've got 17 out of 30 teams written in my trade guide that comes out in about two weeks. Charlotte's done. I never really highlight owners. Like when I say my like what to watch, and I have the owners there because yeah. they're new to this, right? Like this is new. Um, who's running a team six months from now, seven months from now? Uh, I don't want to throw Mitch Kupchak out the door, but when you get new ownership, the reality is that you bring in your own people here. So how much? So basically, with how much say does Mitch Kupchak have um, in this? As far as if there's something big out there, and you mentioned Rozier. Rozier is interesting because he's not one of those like teams are afraid of these like forty million dollar guys right now, right? Like if you have two already, they're like, oh man, I can. Man, he better be really good if I'm going to take a third on. But if there's those guys in like that 20 to 22 million dollar range, those are kind of like those are the trade assets right now. And he's certainly one of them. And then and then with 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 Charlotte, it's you know, I mean, Gordon Hayward is out right now. He's got a 31.5 million dollar contract. He's on an expiring. I literally forgot about Gordon Hayward. Yeah, I, I mean, just it's a big him. number. Um, I mean, hey, when he's when he can play, you know, he's good. He, yeah, he's good. And then the other thing is, what are you going to do with Miles Bridges? What do you do with Miles Bridges, who um, is going to be a free agent here? But here's the catch. Any team that would go out and, and is interested in acquiring him, I mean, there's so many different things, layers to it. Certainly the off-court stuff that happened, right? Like he's he was um, pleaded no contest, was suspended, um, you know, taking that on. Hey, you've got a, you've got a talk, you, you've got a fan base to answer to here. Like it wasn't like he was he was found innocent here. He was he pleaded no contest and there's a suspension there. And then the other thing with Bridges is that just because you trade for him, because he was on this one-year deal, he has to approve it, you don't get his bird rights. So you don't get his bird rights in here to, you know, basically you can pay him like 120% off his number. It's like, I don't know, $10 million if you don't have cap space or the, the non-taxman level. So you don't get that advantage there to go out because remove, and I know that's a big saying remove, but he has been pretty good for them this year when he's, you know, when he's played and everything here. But there's a lot of different layers to, um, you know, with Miles Bridges. Um, you know, certainly you talked about Rozier, Hayward, um, you know, kind of like some nice little pieces. Nick Richards is on a nice contract backup big there. Um, so Charlotte, for me, uh, you know, there we don't really, we're, you know, we talk a lot about the Lakers and some of the other team, but they're the kind of that wild card team because. Man, they are on a, on a major, you know, um, they won in Sacramento, but they're on a, they've been, you know, on a, on a major slide lately. And I have my eye on Miami because you should always have your eye yeah. on Miami. They're always lurking. I spent my Christmas night in Miami. It was delightful uh, watching the B team Sixers against the B team Heat or the non star Sixers against the non star Heat. Um, they're just like, they, they can't stay healthy. Like Caleb Martin is now out, but they, when they're healthy, they're deep. The reason I like Rozier to them are just like, I don't know if the Kyle Lowry thing has run its course, but he's a $29 million expiring. And the thing that I think Miami just needs 
to really make another run like they made last year. And, and you know, obviously they fell short of where they want to get. I think they just need like another guy who can pop off for 25 points in a game where Jimmy is playing, you know, more of an all around game or Bam's cold. And obviously Hero can be that guy. I like the juice that a guy like Rogier would bring them. He's averaging 24 a game on like good shooting. He's a proven late game shot maker. Obviously, he's not going to average 24 points a game on a good team. Like, he, he, he needs to slide into a, a more, you know, secondary, third, fourth option kind of role. I don't know. I think that's an interesting fit. I also think there's some, like, Miami-Washington yeah. potentiality with Tyus Jones and another player from Washington, you know, to make the salaries. I just – that one, I, I don't know exactly sort of what the possibilities are. But I, I just – but the question for Miami is kind of a variant of the same thing with – a variant of what Philly is going to have to decide, which is – if it takes a first-round pick to get a good player like Terry Rozier, I'm not sure it will. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Tyus Jones, I, I bet you could get for multiple seconds, but I'm not sure about that either. Miami, like a first-round pick on its own, not that big of a price. But it's a bigger price than it looks like for a team like the Heat, who then would not be able to throw the godfather offer at whatever star becomes available. The three first-round picks, four picks, three swaps. Philly's variant of that is the cap space variant. Like if we acquire a guy at this deadline that we could maybe sign in free agency for free, quote unquote, at least asset wise this summer, is that a wise decision for us? Um, I think, well, take, take Miami or Philly, whichever one you want. Yeah, I mean, I'll go with, um, with Miami. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much they have been squeezing out of this group, right? Like you, we thought after, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, you know, things, you know, they go out and get Josh Richardson and uh, Thomas uh, Bryant. And like now they're 10th in they're their 10th and top 10 in bench scoring here. Right. Like, like basically have squeezed everything out. What Miami is interesting is, is that they're right at the second apron, which is right now is, is not that big of a deal because it, the, the rules will come into play. And, in, um, you know, in, when the off season starts, but, you go out and get a Terry Rozier. You go out and get a Tyus Jones and then resign him for, I don't know, $15, $16 million, for example, here. Then all of a sudden, next year, you become that second apron. So you won't have, you'll be at a, a first round pick probably, right? And you won't have the luxury of combining salary to go out and get that marquee guy if he ever became available here. So there is, there's like, the reward is like, yeah, one of those two guys can help you right now. The risk is down the road if something became became available. And knowing Miami, the down the road is really important to them. But this season should also be really important to them because they and they just are like, get me to the playoffs. Like they they need to get to do some work. Like they're twenty and fifteen. They are tied for seventh with the Pacers, but they're a half game out of fourth. Basically, like getting out of the play in should be their priority. And then the matchups are. What they are, but they're not scared of any of these teams. They're not. They're not scared of it. They're not even scared of Boston. Like they're the Heat. They just get to the play. I just think they need one more, a little bit more juice to their offense. Philly, to me, the the Harden trade happened. They've been playing quite well for all season, pre Harden trade, post Harden trade. The ingredients they've gotten in the Harden trade have been somewhat helpful, though Covington has been in and out of the rotation. Um, Batum has been great when he's played, although he's in a little bit of shooting slump. They, they've they kind of slid back. Like, Joel in the 30-10 and 10 chase that he's in every night. And boy, is he really going for it every single night. Like, if he has 29-9 and nine and he's about to come out of the game because they're up by 20, he's going to try and get 30-10. and 10. 
Um, I don't know, man. I know they've got the cap space looming this summer. I don't know who the target is. I, I, I thought Ananobi would fit there. I, I don't know, Bobby. The more I watch them, the more I'm like, I kind of feel like they have to make a trade. I, I think they just need one more. Like, I just can't. I don't know. I Can I go into crunch time with Batum, DeAnthony Melton, and Tobias Harris as my third, fourth, and fifth guys? Maybe. Maybe my first two are that good. Given Maxi's, you know, he's got some experience for a young guy, but he's 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 going to get blitzed all to all hell against some of these teams in the playoffs. I want one more guy, and I kind of want them to say, we'll figure out the offseason and the offseason. Let's go for it this year. I don't know if you agree or, di- or disagree on who the guy would be. I don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, Tim Bontemps and I wrote about it right um, right after Christmas as far as the different paths that they have. The cap space game is always a danger, right? Like you can have $55, $60 million, but the the cost comes out to basically renouncing all your free agents except from Tyrese Maxey. And you would be left with him, Joel Embiid, Jane Springer, and Paul Reed, right? That's your four guys, and that's who you go out. And you have $60 million to to go out and fill out your roster. I think the goal for them is basically try to hedge it somewhere where you're going out trading for a player and then still be able to keep DeAnthony Melton if you can, um, Tobias Harris if you can. Those kind of those those you know um, you know not top end starters, but those start those quality starters here where you're not left with basically filling out your bench with minimum guys and non tax mid level exception and and that range here and. Um, but you know, as, as you know, like, but who, who is that right now? Right. Like nobody has kind of surfaced, you know, um, you know, is, I don't, you know, Alex Caruso, Bogdanovic, you know, guys like that. We, you know, we always throw around their names and everything, but I do think that the, um, the, I think if the Sixers go into free agency without making a move, then it's, you're basically kind of looking at, okay. Um, is it the same group? Are we working? Are we looking at sign and trades with our own free agents? Is it the cap space game? What happens with Siakam? I mean, there's a lot of different. You know, there's a lot of. I mean, the free agent market is, it's top heavy and with uh, with forwards, not great with centers, which doesn't matter for Philadelphia. It's a it's a top heavy market of guys that usually won't leave their team. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron. Um, you know, Drew that, Holiday. The, Drew Holiday yeah, was Drew a dream Holiday, target that, for them. That sure knows, that right that that group of players. You know, so you mentioned Bogdanovich, that Hawks Bogdanovich, I assume. Well, I guess either Bogdanovich really could fit there. Yeah. Detroit, but Boyan or Bogdan. Um, the Hawks are open for business. That's yeah. Everybody knows that around the league. Um, I I don't, you know, I, I read a report that from somewhere, I can't remember where, that Trey Young and Jalen Johnson were the only untouchables. And my reaction to that is like, why, why is Trey Young untouchable? Like, I don't understand. Like, sure. Okay. Listen, when um, you're 14 and 22 and I've been sitting in the bottom in defense for the last they four ever, there, nobody um, is, nobody's untouchable. <laughs> um, DeJounte Murray would fit in Philly. Yeah. Caruso's a good name. Caruso's a good name, particularly for the reason you mentioned of hedging of like, they can add a guy who has years on his contract if the contract is low enough and still have max level cap space this offseason, I believe, right? Like they yeah, can take on exactly. Yeah, I you take on like a 20 15, million dollar guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just think they have to do something. I know that they, they how many picks can they trade? Their pick situation is very confusing. Three. Uh, it's three, I believe. They've got one of their own down the road and they've got the two that uh, they've got from the Clippers in that deal. Um, 
26 and 28. They've got a pick swap with, with the Clippers and 29, I believe. Um, so yeah, I mean, you got, you have, you know, three ones that you can put in a deal. You got some so swaps we just named, too. We just named four guys that would fit there. You may name Siakam. The Siakam and Bede fit is, is really, the Siakam and Bede, I, I don't know who goes out in that deal necessarily. Um, but they have enough expirings that they don't have to trade out of their real rotation to get pretty much anybody, including Siakam. Like they get a Siakam, Harris, Embiid, which is an awkward three, four, five. Like there's not really a three in there, yeah. although Siakam has played all over the place in, in Toronto. Siakam's shooting has been all up and down and mostly kind of eh uh, in his career. Is that the fit you want around Embiid? He also likes to play kind of with with the ball and in, in a little bit of a laborious herky jerky kind of style. He won't get to do that nearly as much with Maxi and Embiid. Um, but you know, there's going to be 10, 12 minutes, every playoff game where one of Maxi and Embiid is going to be on the bench. <clears throat> and in those 12 minutes, he could do a lot more than he would do with both of them on the court. And at some point, the talent is the talent. And I just think they need, one more boost in talent to really compete with Boston, maybe Milwaukee, although Milwaukee's been Milwaukee's good. I mean, Milwaukee feel just, and look, none of these early rounds in the playoffs in the East are going to be a cakewalk. Like if you get the Knicks in the first round, that's a pain in the ass. God, the heat. I mean, it's like the Sixers quiver at the mere sight of the heat in the playoffs in the Jimmy Butler era, at least like that, like they're that that's a, an interesting matchup to say the least. I just think Philly's got to be all in for this season, all in, F the offseason, get a talent upgrade now, figure out who it should be. If it's not a perfect fit, so be it. I just think they need to be all in to win this season because, you know, what is Embiid, 29, 30? Like, it's, it's every year now, it's time. And on Siakam, we had a little bit of a roller coaster with Siakam and the Kings on Friday. We're in. <laughs> We're out. We're in. We're way in. My, We're all my, the way out. That was quick. Hey, I, I hey threw now, my phone in the toilet. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I don't accept international calls from 416 area codes. Oh, goodness. Oh, what a league. Siakam is really interesting for the Raptors because, first of all, they're playing well. Oh, they were, so, I mean, I said it last night, I and um, I, and I and I hate really commenting during – I heard you do a podcast with somebody. You said, like, yeah, I, don't, I watched the game. Like, I'm not – you leave me alone, right? Like, just – I'm I'm not writing. I'm not tweeting. I'm not just leave me alone. And I hate, but I, I, I I'm watching the Golden State game uh, Sunday night, and they just sucked the life out of. Well, they, they made Golden State quit. They beat they, the out of them. They, they just, made them there's quit no other way around it. They oh, yeah. physically beat no, the no, hell out they, of them. They they made them basically. If they, you if you had asked them, do you guys want to play the second half? You can go home. I think you probably had, you know they made them quit, and they have been. I mean, they were really good in that game. They lost in Sacramento. They were good in Sacramento. They've been really good. I can't believe we're talking. So it's they've been really good. You're right. They're three and one since they made the the, the Ananobi quickly Barrett trade. Both those guys are, are look great. Um, quickly looks like he's more than ready to be a starting point guard and and score twenty a game and all that. They are fifteen and twenty one. I know. Like let's let's just hit I know. the let's I know. just I know. Like we <laughs> just lambasted the Hawks, who are like a game behind the Raptors. Um, but if the Raptors feel like we are a slightly above five hundred team the rest of the way, that's going to get them in the play-in tournament. Like if they're if they're above five hundred the rest of the way, because all you need to do to get in the play-in tournament is be like five games under five hundred right now. That's going to get them in the play-in tournament. The Siakam thing is so interesting because they telegraphed in uh, the Ananobi deal. 
the picks weren't interesting to them. Right. They said, exactly. we want that young restricted free agent that we will have leverage over in contract talks at a position of need. We'll take a Detroit second. That's great. It's like a first round pick. Um, but we want a player. Can they do that again with Siakam? And if you look at the Kings, whether they were ever in, out, kind of in, sort of out, the Kings don't, unless you just think Davion Mitchell is a a just totally misused super talent lottery pick waiting for redemption, which I don't really think anybody thinks that, they don't have a player that the Raptors can say, we want that guy and actually get him for Pascal Siakam from Sacramento because they're not getting Keegan Murray for Pascal Siakam. In which case... Now, there'll be other teams that call about Siakam, but the question for the Raptors is, all right, if we can't get the deal we want, let's say all we can get is a couple of the kind of first-round picks that we turned our nose up at from in, in other trade talks, and like salary filler that doesn't really move us. It's not great. It's not what we want. The question they have to ask themselves is, if Siakam gets to unrestricted free agency, do we have any kind of home court advantage? Is the fifth year that we can offer going to win us this bidding? And do we even want to win it if we have to offer the fifth year to win it? If the answer is no, like we think it's a free-for-all, we have less than a 50-50 chance of getting him back, then don't you have to don't you, don't you you have to trade him for whatever you can get and, and try to gin up some kind of bidding for him regardless of how your team is playing? Yeah, I mean, you basically look at the lay of the land as far as what the offseason is, as far as, you know, there's probably a third of the league that's going to have room. Philadelphia is one of those teams we we, we talked about. Um, you know, the other teams, you know, maybe Indiana, OKC. Like, I think Indiana is intriguing for me. Um, if you're um, if you're Toronto, because maybe you can get a, maybe you can get Jairus Walker, a young power forward. Maybe you can get, you know, you can get, you know, you get Sally, you probably Buddy Heald would be involved and in, just to make the numbers work here. Um, so I do think if, if there's, you know, if there's that feeling like, you know, we might lose him like for and Van Vliet was different because they basically couldn't they were restricted as far as where how they could extend him because, you know, as far as going in there. Um, then I do think you have to take a hard look, whether it be, you know, there's, there's Kevin Herter and um, and Harrison Barnes and whatever. There's that, your offer, as, right? Like, yeah, that's it. And yeah. all the and Sack's got a lot of picks yeah. that they can throw it, throw it at anybody. And, you know, I've said all year, similar to how I said, you know, Reddish Russell Prince is not a good enough one, two, three position wise on a championship. It's just not um, Barnes and Herter are, it's just, they're not bringing enough. And in fact, Herter is now coming off the bench uh, for the Kings and the Kings are interesting to be, they are really interesting. They are 21 and 14. Sounds great. They have a negative point differential now for the season and they have had some ugly ass losses in the last couple of weeks and the Pelicans forget that they cannot yeah. even touch the Pelicans. And so the Kings now reach an interesting crossroad, and they have a bunch of road games to make up. They've played way more home than road. And they what's interesting? To- what's interesting? Like, like you watched you watched last night at the Mike Brown's press conference. Like the, the media there, because there's a there's a little bit of a pattern going on right now when these when they've been getting their doors blown off. That these guys have not come in to talk. They basically if they uh, who they roll out Keon Ellis or two way player. Like they're they're not you know being a little bit up front here and. Um, they've had some really bad. They've had some really bad losses. Um, they were fortunate to get that Orlando game. That that whatever that was a crazy one. That over, overtime game here. But you lose at home on Kids Day in Sacramento by thirty three. 
that's that's a little bit of a, of a warning. Send the sign. kids home crying. Here's a uh, lesson saw, for I life, saw, kids. Someone someone tweeted, "We like we want refunds. We want like no, ice really? cream forever. We want like you know snow cones. You know, be great if the Kings just released a statement. It's a good lesson for you kids. Life doesn't always work out the way you want. No free hey, ice cream. Hey, hey, part of life adversity. Deal. Hey, with we it. sucked for 15 straight years. No goddamn ice cream for you. <laughs> Enjoy your 21 and 14 Sacramento Kings who have a minus eight point differential now for the season. They have to ask themselves like, you know, they've got two gigantic salaries in Sabonis and Fox, one of whom might get more gigantic if he makes all NBA this year in Fox. A lot of these teams, like you mentioned, when you have two salaries at that level, there's this fear now of like, boy, a third one really hamstrings us even more than it used to under this new CBA. This could be an interesting test of their restraint if that's the right word for it, because now they're chasing last year's expectations, chasing last year's euphoria, chasing last year's like Kings are back, cowbells, all the, all that stuff. And the numbers in the eye test say they're just kind of eh this year. And their record is, is, is they're not as good as their record. And if they're not as good as their record, their record currently places them fifth half a game ahead of Dallas. Who's playing well and getting healthy a game ahead of the Pelicans who's playing well and getting healthy. And after that, you like the Suns will probably rise up. No pun intended at some point. Like if they're not as good as their record, they're at risk of being a playing team. And if you're at risk of being a playing team, those good vibes are going to be hard to duplicate in terms of what you accomplished last year, taking the Warriors to game seven, maybe winning that series. If Fox doesn't get injured. And I don't know. I would be on the one hand, I get, being real aggressive with Fox and Sabonis in their primes. On the other hand, I guess because it's the Kings, I fear, although Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox have done a much more sort of stable, thoughtful job, um, I fear a sort of over-aggressive, like, we got to get back to where we were last year trade. I don't know. They're a team to watch. Well, I mean, they're like, you know, another one of those teams that's kind of hesitant adding that third big star, that third of their big contract here. Because as you said, you know, you, you would have basically three guys on max deals. And then what do you have left? Because you probably have just traded out three guys. You know, um, you would have Malik Monk, who's going to be a free agent. Um, you would still have Keegan Murray, who would have Trey Lyles. Um, you know, um, you know, that's that's, you know, you lose Monk to free agency. Um, you know, you're in, you're in trouble to how you, you basically replace him. They could just, the best thing for them as boring as it is. And obviously we don't know what will be available and who will be available and what the offers will be. The best thing for them could be Stan Pat have an okay rest of the season, lose in the first round or the play in and live to fight another day. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Murray's development is, is along the path that they needed to be, which is yeah. encouraging, but um, there's a lot of interesting teams in the West, man. The Pelicans are getting good and they're, they're playing really well and they have a lot of stuff to trade. Dallas is starting to play better. Like Kyrie and Luca had 69 points combined last night. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think for Dallas, my concern is like, is there, they have enough at power forward. Right. And Derek Jones jr. Is, but he's under my, he's on my under $3 million club. All right, he's been ter- he's been terrific for them. I I got to take the L on that. I did not think Derek Jones Jr. full time starter was going to yeah. be a thing that either worked or lasted, and it has done both. And in fact, the guy who needs to play more and play be- well, play better first, and then play more is Grant Williams. Yeah. Grant Williams has been like 
kind of at not you know playing 15 minutes a game, and I, I think they're going to need him for more than that. But their their recent play, they're 22 and 15, and and they've won three in a row, even though Lively's been hurt, Exum's been hurt. Their recent play has been a reminder, like when those two dudes are healthy and they have some role players who are making shots around them, like they're a pain in the ass to play against. Luca is that good, and Kyrie is as a number two, and he's been a willing number two. Has been really good too. Any other teams you want to hit real fast in your sort of under under the radar trade deadline teams? Um, you know, Memphis is interesting for me. Uh, I have Memphis, not thought about Memphis. Sell me on yeah, Memphis. Yeah, I mean, Memphis is interesting for me because you know, basically two halves to the season, right? So far, the the John Morant twenty five game suspension, injuries out the wazoo, seventeen different starting lineups. Like you know, we know what happened. You know, Morant comes back. I think they're eight and four um, since he's come back. You know, he's missed. I think he missed the Phoenix game where they had a great win. Smart, Bain, Morant, Jackson, right? That's your four core guys, I would say. They've got this Luke Kennard contract that they're sitting on. It's a team option for next year, right around like $15 million. However, you take back salary. Now you go into the tax close to that first apron. So they've got all those those picks. I'm not saying we, we've already you know talked about McKell Bridges off the board. But I think there's still a need for that. You know, they based Bain has played the three. There's still a need for that for for a big wing. Vin, um, Vince Williams Jr. Um, He's playing well. I like him. Well, yeah, 19 points. Really good defender here. But they're you know sitting on all their picks still. Um, four picks. Um, they got all these young kids on this roster here. That that Kennard contract kind of tr- intrigues me a little bit. It's interesting, you know, it snuck up on me that Memphis win over the Lakers on Friday or Saturday, whenever it was, kind of a big win for Memphis. Uh, picked up a game on the Lakers. They're only four games out of the play-in tournament right now, and their season is not over. I just want to shout out while we're on Memphis, Desmond Bain, just an absolute Ironman on a team that has had just injury after injury after injury. He just brings it every single night. Is so has become so much more than a spot up shooter, secondary ball handler. So he's basically the backup point guard. Um, you know, with when Morant is on the bench now, he he's just a really good two way player who seems to have a good game every single night. I I haven't sat down and picked my all stars yet. I have my list of candidates all set up. Um, but I, he he deserve. I you don't see a lot of all stars from thirteen and twenty three teams he deserves some pretty strong consideration although it's really crowded at guard you mentioned the nets i don't want to talk too much about them but they this is just gut it feels like something is gonna something's yeah maybe just three small things two buys one sell it just feels like that roster is gonna look different after the trade deadline listen you know they're the intent of if they were if they didn't if they controlled their picks there would be like probably a fire sale there right probably except for bridges johnson uh, Claxton's going to be a free agent here. Interesting piece, Nick Claxton. By the way, yeah. like, are they willing to? How um, much? How much are they willing to pay him? And and Dayron Sharp had been before he hurt his knee in the Portland game had been pretty good coming off you know um, coming off the bench here. Dinwiddie is the wild card. I mean, basically, like he went into the witness protection program in the Portland game, right? I mean, Dennis Smith has taken his minutes in the in in, um, in closing time here. Expiring contract. Cam Thomas, another one. What is he? Can he can he be a starter? Is he you know is he a guy just puts up numbers? Um, Brooklyn, I, watching them, I feel like if they're not making threes, they're no better than Detroit, San Antonio, 
and some of the Washington, who they lost to some of these teams in the bottom here, um, because it's, it's, you know, you know, I thought their def- their identity was going to be a team that can defend and the, and they, they, they can't, you know, and you've got Royce O'Neal and expiring Finney Smith's got a really good contract here. There's a lot of different, a lot of different parts to, uh, to this team. I really want Oklahoma City to go out and get one of those two guys you just mentioned. Just get just get one more guy in the door. Oh, uh, Clax- Cam- Claxton and OKC. Well, I was I meant I meant O'Neal oh, and Finney Smith, but yeah. sure. Um, it's just in, just a little Nets tangent. I wrote about Cam Thomas in my Ten Things column last week. I thought a largely neutral-ish, leaning a little bit negative item. Um, it was mostly about how like no role player in the entire history of the NBA has shot this frequently and assi- recorded assists this rarely and now he and also that he's not a good defensive player. I also wrote in the item like the guy's scoring ability is completely legit. I said he is I wrote he is an outrageous shot maker from all three levels. And I I said like he could be change almost nothing. He could be a good bench scorer on a good team. That's like a great outcome for Cam Thomas. I walked into the Nets Thunder game on Friday, and Nets PR guys were sitting in their office. I said hello. I said, "Boy, Zach, Nets fans are just—I don't know if you've seen it, but boy, the Nets oh, they fans love are them. killing you, oh, they killing love you." Thomas. And I was like, "What do you mean? What, what do they kill me about? Like, I've, I've, I hadn't seen it. Like, well, you didn't—you wrote mean things about Cam Thomas, and they—they they just, I mean, like, they are just killing you. Like, I they, they were talking to me like, like, are you okay? Like, are you?" You taking this all right? Like, are you emotionally? I was like, I don't know about anything. I thought I was being nice to Cam Thomas by saying, like, the guy is an outrageous scorer. He just doesn't pass, like, ever. I, I, there's never been a guy who's not a star with a usage rate this high and an assist rate this low. It just is what it is. I will say this about Nets fans. They're very prideful of homegrown talent. You know why? Because there hasn't been many. <laughs> so when you look at Cam Thomas and Nick Claxton, guys that they've drafted and done a good job, Daron Sharp, guys they've found, Nets fans are very like one of their own, right? It's like they're they're children. Take Listen, it up Cam with Thomas. Take- Cam Thomas has got the one thing I like about him is he's that, and I know he went on that bender where he was over whatever, but the the one thing for him is that he's been able to get to the free throw line a lot more than he's he has a done. big burly dude. Yeah. I said I thought I was nice to him saying like he could be a really good reserve player on a, like a good team, not a crap team, a good team. And by the way, take it up with your coach who decided that the leading scorer on your team should come off the bench. Like take it up with him too. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, I don't want to go into detail, much detail about what happened with them getting fined and everything like that. But when your best player comes out and was basically against the plan, you got to be careful with that. Yeah, that didn't that didn't go great for them. Like may, maybe you should have checked it with Mikhail Bridges first, <laughs> and, and so he doesn't go to the media and be like, "This sucked. I didn't like this." All right, Bobby Marks, we got a month more to talk about this. We'll talk more soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it.